This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Lonnie's Discount Muffler and Ribs Studio in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. And if you're one of our listeners across the pond, there's still time, right, Sam? Is there still time for people to vote? I think polls I, don't close until late. 10 o'clock, 10 I o'clock. think. Oh, yeah. You've got, you've got at least two and a half more hours to get out and vote. Probably two hours by the time I edit this and release it and actually post it. <laughs> still time, though. Still time. Still how, time, how, indeed. How are you handling the day, Sam Knight? Posting. I am posting furiously. I am confident. I'm afraid I am getting my hopes up for disappointment here. You were talking about uh, playing a little bit in the predicted markets. You seemed pretty confident earlier. Well, unfortunately, the uh, predicted markets are very bullish on Johnson's chances of being of of holding the the prime minister's spot, and I uh, I guess I think that they're understating the chance of a labor surge and. It's just sort of the uh, the the uh, incessant gambler in me that was thinking, well, twenty cents, yes for Corbin, you know that's that's like a five to one. Yeah, pot odds. You know, <laughs> anytime you see those long odds on smash something, it. you think it has a chance of happening. You got to smash it. That's I mean, how you make the money. I think there's also a lot of stupid money in predicted too, and that predicted markets uh, don't often price in the the actual probability of what's going to happen so yeah we've talked about this how we think that a lot of the predicted markets are dominated by conservatives who are betting with their political leanings and hence corbyn's chances are artificially too low i also think that there is underappreciation for how corbyn could be the prime minister of a minority government uh and and that is a, that's a possibility which I think the uh, predicted market might be overlooking. I hope, but I reserve the right to be wrong about this in a few hours' time when the worst possible outcome might happen. Well, we'll monitor it tonight and have more on it for tomorrow's garbage can show for subscribers only. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a special honor can ceremony should things go well in the election returns. Uh, speaking of tomorrow's Garbage Can Show, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Five bucks a month so that you can listen to it as well as all the other bonus content we put out. You also get your own uh, haiku. We're going to read some poetry later on in the show. Stateside, we've got uh, the impeachment markup underway in the House Judiciary Committee today. It was going on last night. They resumed it this morning. Uh, it was still going on uh, at the time of this recording here. Um, lots of debate among the members on the panel. Lots of Matt Gates talking. Um, Matt Gates's DUI was brought up during the markup. <laughs> it was alluded to. It wasn't directly brought up right mustn't violate decorum by directly bringing it up just have to allude to it anyways it's likely that uh it will the impeachment resolution will be passed out of committee and then voted on before the full house uh 
likely next week. I I thought there was a funny moment. There was a delay tactic that I have never seen used before in a congressional hearing, and you got to hand it you got to hand it to Republicans for uh, knowing how to pull all the dirty tricks, or at least trying. At least trying. I'm not sure if this worked, but. It was Steve Cohen, I think, the Democrat from Tennessee, who was trying to submit op-eds for the record uh, that were basically to the effect of, yes, Trump should be impeached. And he listed a bunch of op-eds and tried to put them in the record. And then I think it was uh, Collins from Georgia, the Republican, who said he he objected (laughs) and said he wanted to read them first. And... uh, you know, it's just kind of a, it's kiss. kind of a parliamentary dick move, right there. Oh yeah, big <laughs> almost time. nothing is ever objected Never. to entering to the record. Never, so, yeah. I don't think you can. I think you can only delay, which is why he did what he did. But I don't even know how it was ruled on by the parliamentarian because I was only half listening. Because uh, it's honestly just kind of hard to follow. It's it, it it a lot of theatrics. Yeah. All right, let's get on to the rest of it. It's Thursday, December 12th, 2019. Here's the news. Senate Democrats staged a last-minute intervention in British elections by doing what Democrats do best. They smeared the left to fake being progressive in a move that will only help the far right around the world. A handful of Dems on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee claim they're concerned about the Labor Party being anti-Semitic, regurgitating a sustained smear campaign against Jeremy Corbyn. The Hill cited quotes today from Senators Bob Menendez, Tim Kaine, and Ben Cardin, all of them parroting claims about labor being anti-Semitic because Corbyn does not hate Palestinians like they do. Remember, Menendez is such a shameless fanboy of Israeli apartheid, he tried to undermine President Obama's nuclear deal with Iran all throughout negotiations. This was back during Menendez's first stint as top Democrat on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He stepped down from the position for a few years after being indicted on federal corruption charges. Clearly a great judge of character there, Bobby. Also of note, the only independent expert quoted by The Hill, major scare quotes over independent expert, because it was notorious neocon hack Jamie Kerchick, a pathetic armchair Navy SEAL who has never met an Arab country he doesn't want to bomb. It would probably take an entire hour to parse through the Corbin smear campaign, But one recent flare-up is illustrative. Party activists tried to oust two MPs because they are consistently critical of their own party's leader on a wide range of issues, including moves to ban arms sales to Israel. They're also Jewish, but because they're Blairite supporters of the Israeli government, they reduce everything here to anti-Semitism. As Jewish Voices for Labor have noted recently, Corbyn has a long record of fighting bigotry, including anti-Semitism, In 1977, quote, he helped organize the defense of Jewish-populated Wood Green from a National Front rally. Again, in June 2015, Corbyn Corbyn organized with anti-fascists to prevent a neo-Nazi march, this one planned for Golders Green in North London, another area known for its large Jewish community. In fact, during the election campaign, there was an anti-Semitic assault in North London on a rabbi, Corbyn reached out to a Jewish neighborhood watch group called Shomrim. Its leader, Rabbi Herschel Gluck, said, quote, We deeply appreciate his concern. He sounded extremely genuine. He was the only party leader who called. Meanwhile, current Prime Minister Boris Johnson published a novel last decade just jam-fucking-packed with racism, including attacks on Jews, 
per the Independent, Johnson, quote, depicted Jews as controlling the media and being able to fiddle elections. Despite all this, Senate Democrats are attacking Corbyn to benefit Johnson. Well, maybe the good sign is out of this, whatever strategy the Democrats employing out here will fail, as it usually does. And as people have noted on social media that uh, what they have been doing to Corbyn is we're we're seeing that with Bernie. We're starting to see it with Bernie, and we're going to see it more with Bernie as uh, assuming that he— moves toward the nomination, which we, of course, are hopeful that he will. Absolutely. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos testified before a House committee today where she went to bat for private for-profit colleges that defraud students. The central issue here is DeVos's attempts to deny student loan forgiveness to hundreds of thousands of students entitled to it because they were screwed over by schools like ITT Tech and Corinthian Colleges. Prior rules crafted under the Obama administration paved the way for debt relief, but under DeVos, those rules have been scrapped, replaced by new regulations that drastically reduce the amount of debt relief available for defrauded students. Why do this? Because as DeVos claimed today, it's about fairness. Not for students, of course, but fairness for taxpayers. Adjudication of these claims must treat all students and taxpayers fairly. Simply discharging all of these loans, as some on this committee suggest be done, is not fair to taxpayers, nor to those who have paid or are paying their loans. This administration's commitment to fairness and the rule of law continues to guide our thinking with regard to borrower defense. Uh, Fairness. Trying to think of other issues where the fairness to taxpayers argument is deployed. Certainly not on the $730 billion defense spending bill that the House passed yesterday. The Pentagon has never passed an audit, but as we're forking over public dollars to it, no one ever shrieks taxpayer fairness. But we hear it all the time when we're discussing providing debt relief to defrauded students. DeVos's quest to protect taxpayers has been complicated by the courts, which tossed out the department's new restrictive rule on loan forgiveness, citing the department violating the Privacy Act by calculating earnings data. DeVos claims that the department has since crafted a new methodology, but in doing so, DeVos has overruled career staff at the Education Department who have advised her to provide full debt relief instead of nickel and diming defrauded students. An NPR report found these internal memos recommending that students who attended schools like Corinthian Colleges deserved full relief. DeVos overruled that staff, though. I said earlier that DeVos went to bat for for for-profit schools like Corinthians. She literally did. Here she was under questioning from Rep. Grijalva about students who went to that school. Important to note here, Corinthian Colleges no longer exists. It closed down after it was investigated and fined by several federal agencies, after it had its license revoked in Canada for defrauding students. Dozens of state attorneys general launched their own investigation and found similar fraud. Again, the school doesn't exist. It collapsed under its own crimes. It should be very easy to admit that Corinthian Colleges was a fraud machine. And yet, here was DeVos trying to defend Corinthian's corpse. There's uh, no question that Corinthian borrowers uh, were defrauded. 
and that fraud was so severe that they were entitled to full relief. In fact, the Department of Education found that Corinthian education provided little or no value. Uh, Madam Secretary, uh, do you agree Corinthian defrauded students? I think in some cases that was probably the case, but I also know that the prior administration uh, basically forced schools like Corinthian out of business. Uh, they put financial restrictions on Corinthian that, allow, that, that didn't allow the school to even but, continue operating anymore. What we need but the to fundamental do question with Corinthian, uh, you can agree or disagree, and I'll ask, that Corinthian provided no educational value to its, to its students be, uh, as a result of fraud. and. Uh, that was pervasive before uh, any discussion by any administration regarding that, that program. Um, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that narrative. No. I think there are many no. students that received valuable education from Corinthian, oh just like God. they do from many other institutions. Reference <laughs> wow. Poor Corinthian colleges. Bet Betsy, turn, turn on your location. We have to make sure that your yacht is okay. <laughs> Republicans on the committee today weren't really interested in holding DeVos accountable for anything. In fact, the ranking member on the committee, Virginia Fox, used her questioning to allow DeVos to tout how good her department has been at responding to congressional letters. How many letters have you received from Congress since taking office and what is your overall response rate? Since I took office, on average, we receive 1.8 letters every day from members of Congress to address specific issues. We have responded to 95% of those letters, and I have placed a high priority on making sure we are responsive and timely in our um, responses. Boom! So 1.8 letters <laughs> per day. Per day. From members of Congress. Yes. yes. Boom! Wow. Checkmate, Libs! Wow, a department. Checkmate! Responded to your letters, Libs! You sick, Libs! <laughs> the Education Department has 4,000 employees and a $70 billion budget. <laughs> and it can write two letters a day, folks. Major props, Betsy. Major props. We should rename it just the Department of Responding to Congressional Inquiries. Betsy has made that a top priority. Debt relief Game for over, snowflakes. Students, not so much. Not so much on the debt relief for students. Responding to congressional letters, we can write two letters a day. 95% of the time, we can write two letters a day. Finally, DeVos claimed that in the future, fewer students will be defrauded by schools, not because schools will stop lying and defrauding them, but because the education department will begin publishing data about results from these schools, thus putting the responsibility on students to exercise some, quote, financial literacy. If, if an institution is making claims about a program, um, it's going to be easy to check. You can go to that school and that field of study and see what the, the earning is for the first year, and we're going to continue to add the data for years after that. So a lot more transparency for students and for schools, frankly. And so going forward, the savings are going to be around the fact that I, we're not going to have as many claims. Yeah, a great tool for financial literacy. Um, it's, a, it's a good argument for financial literacy, yes. Yeah. Fuck off. So at the end of the day, DeVos and Republicans on the committee are trying to, in the future, place the blame where they think it belongs on the students, which makes this next clip an appropriate ending to the coverage of the hearing. Here was Rep. Frederica Wilson just 
absolutely dragging DeVos. I've had some honest disagreements with my friends in the Republican Party about how to move education forward, but I've never not one time believed that they were out to destroy public education until I met you. Why has every decision you've made harmed students instead of empowering them? Are you the Secretary of Education? You are supposed to be their champion. When you approach a public school, you are protested. If you entered, you are booed. When you spoke at an HBCU in Florida, two months later, the president was made to resign. You are the most unpopular person in our government. Millions will register to vote in 2020. Many will vote to remove you more than to remove the president. I yield back. <laughs> Just ripped up right there. God. Well said. Republicans right after that tried to uh, punish Congresswoman Wilson and have her words stricken from the record. Uh, they failed, though. Everyone knows by now that drug addiction is a public health problem. That said, the Department of Homeland Security today announced grants for surveillance technology designed to detect opioids in the mail. The agency said the money was given out as part of a $1.5 million prize for, quote, rapid non-intrusive detection tools that will help find illicit opioids in international mail. Of course, there is no such thing as a non-intrusive surveillance tool uh, if you use a false positive to open up an investigation, but whatever, maybe, maybe I'm thinking too much here. Anyway, the top prize worth $500,000 went to security contractors IDSS. Their device, quote, combines a 3D X-ray CT scanner with automated detection algorithms and, quote, identifies anomalies in X-ray images based on the scanned items, features, and physical properties. I'm sure that will work 100% of the time. The runner-up company, One Resonance, gets $250,000 for its Q-Rod system, which, quote, uses radio frequency signals to search for specific materials. An alarm is triggered when a signal associated with an illicit substance is detected. I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to sound like a Luddite anti-science guy, uh, but... This just sounds like a bunch of people with too much money uh, throwing it at fucking Silicon Valley surveillance dicks. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting I'm getting some WeWork vibes here. <laughs> anyway, gotta love capitalism. The Government Accountability Office is calling for the creation of a climate infrastructure bank to help mitigate some of the future costs of climate change related disasters. In a report to Congress this week, the oversight agency warned that fiscal exposure to climate change is still at high risk due to the government's inability to address a number of recommendations made by GAO over the last few years. In 2018 alone, there were 14 separate billion-dollar weather disasters, causing $91 billion in total. GAO notes that, quote, investing in climate resilience projects to help communities prepare for hazards such as sea level rise could reduce future costs, end quote. However, as GAO warns, quote, the federal government makes ad hoc investments, but does not have a strategy for prioritizing projects with the most impact, end of quote. The oversight body acknowledged that without action to address the fiscal exposure to climate change, the problem will only get worse 
as costs are likely to increase as climate change-driven superstorms and disasters become more frequent. This is problematic since half of Congress doesn't believe climate change is real, and any new funding source like a climate infrastructure bank would have to first be authorized by that same Congress. And even if that does happen, I can imagine just restriction after restriction placed on actual use of those funds. Like what defines a, a climate event? I'm sure Republicans would uh, write the rules so that basically nothing yeah. actually and, qualifies. And you can bet it would also be one of those public-private partnerships where a lot of private <laughs> money is used to build some like, I don't know, some some raised highway <laughs> and you have to pay tolls to use it that a company makes money off of or or climate events would solely count as like oh this this golf course needs water this privately owned golf course needs water or uh we, we need to help such and such company privatize the water systems of 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 arizona <laughs> Okay, we've now reached the poetry portion of the show where we reward our new subscribers on Patreon with a haiku. And we've got one to read today. This one goes out to Astro Illogica, who has upped their donation this month. Thanks for that. Betsy DeVos sucks. Just absolute fucking trash. Let's hope her yacht sinks. <laughs> Thank you, Astro Illogica. Yes, nothing wrong with hoping for things. Nothing at all wrong. Yes, thank you, Astro Illogica. It's not a crime to hope. No, it's not. Thanks to Astro Illogica and thanks to all the new subscribers on patreon.com slash district sentinel. We are back tomorrow for subscribers for the Garbage Can Show. Get your Garbage Can nominees in right now if you haven't already. Also throw in a few Honor Can nominees. Everyone else, we're back Monday for the newscasts. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be. 